Do you agree? Say amen. I want to invite you this morning to turn with me to the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1. Our focus this morning is going to be on verses 15 through 18, but I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. <clears throat> Ruth chapter 1. And if you'll please follow along with me, beginning in verse 11, I'll read through verse 18. Let us hear the word of the Lord this morning. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May he write its truth on our hearts today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, how we ask that you would come to us now. Oh Lord, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you that you have spoken and you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you for your word preserved. And now as it is proclaimed, we do pray that the Spirit would come. We pray that we would open our hearts and our eyes to you and that we would see you today in all your glory. Lord, please strengthen us. And Lord, please give us courage. Give us hope. And we pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Everything is changing. Are you aware of that? You may not notice it, but trust me, everything is changing. You, you leave your house in the morning... And you come back in the evening, and guess what? That house is not the same. You may say, well, what are you talking about? It looks exactly the same. Nothing happened to it. Unless you had somebody come and paint or do some work on it, that house is different. It's a little bit older. It has deteriorated a little bit more, just eight hours or whatever, ever how long you were gone. Everything is changing, right? 
Someone has said that the only constant in life is change. Now, usually, these changes all around us, we don't even notice them. A lot of them are even imperceptible. The, the change on your house from the time you left in the morning till you came back in the afternoon, it's an imperceptible change, isn't it? Usually, hopefully. <laughs> but some things change so drastically that you can't help but notice. Somebody gets a new hairstyle, new color. Oh, wow, that's, you're different. That's a change. These kids are growing up so fast. I, I hadn't seen my nieces. They're here visiting with us, and I hadn't seen them in several months. And wow, the last time I saw them, and now they're it's changing. Drastic changes. Sometimes we get caught in the weather. It's a nice, warm, sunny afternoon, and you go inside and eat and step out, and man, a cold front's come through, and the wind's blowing, and now it's, it's chilly. Sometimes things are, are so drastic, you wonder, is that even the same? Like, when you do make repairs on a house, Stacy and I like to watch this show, Fixer Upper, uh, shows like that where they go in and do the repairs, and so they'll send the owners away, and they'll do all the repairs, and then they bring them back blindfolded or whatever, and then they do the reveal, and they, they go, wow. And so many times we've heard them say, it doesn't even look like the same house. Drastic changes, radical changes, extreme, profound, nothing like before. And this is exactly what we see in this person we're examining in our text today. This, this young lady, Ruth, has undergone such a a tremendous change. The only way that we could describe it would be radical. I want to suggest to you that when we stop at the spiritual mirror and take a look at ourselves, this should be exactly what we see. We should see such drastic changes than what we were at one time. We are not... And we cannot be what we once were if we have turned to Christ in faith. We are not and we cannot be what we once were if we've turned to Christ in faith. We must be radically changed. And I hope that you'll see that as we work our way through these verses today. I want to present to you three ideas that I have seen from the text. And the first is what I'm calling Radical rejection. Radical rejection. Let's uh, go back here just for a couple of minutes and kind of review the story and make sure that we've got the setting right. Uh, there's a conversation that has taken place between Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. I hope that I do not call Orpah Oprah, but I'm probably going to. It's just too easy. So if I do... Please know what I mean, okay? There had been a, a, a situation where they had, you know, migrated this family to Moab because of a famine. Naomi's husband has died. Uh, Ruth and Orpah, their, their husbands have died. And, and so Naomi has heard that there's 
the rains have come and the, the crops are growing and so she's going back and these two young ladies start to go with her but somewhere on the road we don't know where they stop and it just it's like it dawns on Naomi what am I doing they can't go back with me and so she begins to have this conversation with them you have to go back you there is no hope for you going with me to Bethlehem if you remember she explained this particular law that that the Lord had had put in place for situations like them when a widow's husband dies there's the next brother would would come and marry her and have children and and carry on the family name and the inheritance and everything would be kept safe well Naomi's too old she's not gonna have any more kids She's not gonna have any more sons so the only hope for Ruth and Orpah are to go back to Moab even as widows they're still relatively young maybe they can find husbands there because if you're a widow in the ancient world uh, you're in trouble this is really a dangerous situation here that is put before us because you have to be married you have to have someone to provide for you you have to have security or you're going to be poor you're going to be destitute and so it seems at first that they're both going back. That they both refuse. But through through some coaxing and some talking, Orpah turns around and goes back. She's not really made a commitment, has she? It looks like it. She's she cries the tears and she's all emotional and, and, and she's going a long way on the journey. We see people like that, don't we? They come a long way. And then they hear just how bad it's going to be. And, and it's painted and laid out for them very clearly that it's going to be tough. And what do they do? They, they get off the road. They turn around and go back. What we need to be seeing here in our text is a contrast, a, a stark contrast contrast between the response of Orpah and that of Ruth. And so, so let's consider her now, this radical rejection. Notice that Naomi says to her in verse 15, see your sister-in-law has gone back to her people. The first thing that I want you to notice is that Ruth rejects her people. Now, we've got to understand that this is no light thing. For Ruth, okay? I mean, think about what's what's going on here. She has said no. She's, she's shunned the idea of going back to Moab. But she's done much more than that. She has shunned her people. Uh, sometimes people leave their countries and go live in other countries, right? If you're an American and you go live in another country for a while, we, we call them expats, right? Expatriates not former patriots don't confuse that okay uh, but it's just a word that we have for people that live in a foreign country for a while maybe the the their job took them over there but that's not what we're talking about here even in these cases you may have heard of these where people renounce their citizenship this is not Ruth simply renouncing her citizenship it's not Ruth simply saying okay I'm not going to be a, a Moabite anymore 
Ruth has rejected her people. This is her decision. This is her choice. We don't have any reason to think that she ever goes back to see any of these folks. And there's a hint in the book that her parents are still living. Think about this. This is a widow who could probably go back and have some, some measure of hope if she just went back to her parents, which is what she was told to do, remember? Naomi earlier told her that. Go back to the house of your mother. Well, we know her parents are living because in chapter 2, verse 11, uh, Boaz is speaking, and this is when uh, she has encountered Boaz, and he says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and, and listen to this, how you left your father and mother and your native land. Ruth is saying goodbye, not just to this country, not just to this nation, and not just to her people in a generic sense, but her family, her mom and dad, any siblings, aunts, uncles, close friends. We have no evidence that she ever sees any of those people again. In fact, I think we have evidence that she probably does not ever see any of them again. This is radical. <laughs> and I have to ask, because the question came to me. Am I willing to do the same? I have to be. You have to be. This is not optional. This is, this is kind of rough, so hold on tight, okay? And let me give you the words of our Lord Jesus in Luke 14, 25. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, that's not gray, is it? What about, it's, it's clear, it's cut and dry. Jesus will not vie for our love, for our loyalty. When we come to him, it's all or nothing. You say, well, wow, that's, that's rough. I have to hate my family? What's Jesus saying? Uh, that I need to go and, and, and shun them and mistreat them and, and be mean? Well, no. We have other scriptures that tell us differently. So that's not what he's saying, right? But what is he saying? Jesus is saying, look, here's me and here's everything else. And your devotion to me must be so great that you're willing to look at anything and say, nope, I love this, I love Jesus more. Jesus is better. My devotion to him is greater than anything else. Even my wife, I've been married for 32 years, and I've got to be more devoted to Jesus than her? Yes. Or, I cannot be his disciple. What is Jesus saying here? He's explaining, listen, you don't just... You don't just jump in and say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm going. I'll go along. You've got to consider the cost. 
It's excessive, isn't it? Matthew 10.37, I think, helps, helps clarify. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Following Christ means a willingness to abandon everything else. When I follow Jesus, I don't have to leave my wife. But I can't put her ahead of him or my kids or, or anything. Nothing comes before him. And if it comes down to a decision between them and him, I have to choose Jesus. This is the decision that Ruth has made. Radical rejection. Uh, next, I want you to see here that not only does she reject her people, but she rejects her gods. Uh, Naomi had made a reference to gods, plural, and for sure the the, the, the Moabites, like every other pagan nation, they had a pantheon. They had many gods. They had one chief god that they referred to as Chemosh. Chemosh. And this was such a, a despicable practice that in their worship of this god, Chemosh, they would offer burnt offerings and sacrifices like even Israel was commanded to do in their worship of God, but, but to show even more devotion, they would even offer their children. Burn their children. We have to understand that at that time, people, uh, nations, identified uh, with a God. If you were this nation, well, this was your God. You remember the Philistines, they have Dagon, and, and these people have Baal. And, and so you have uh, part of your national identity is whatever God you worship. This is Numbers 21-29. This is part of a, a ballad that was sung showing God's despising of Moab. Woe to you, O Moab, you are undone. Oh, people of Chemosh. You see, he's uh, identifying this nation with their God. They're, they're people of this false God. Oh, people of Chemosh. And what we must see here as we look at this young lady, Ruth, is that not only is she rejecting her people, the people of this God, but she's rejecting the God of this people. And all of those gods, these gods, whether it's Moab or, or any other pagan nation, the, the Amorites, the, the Philistines, they, they all are expected to be loyal to their God, to do whatever they have to do to show their devotion to their God. And Ruth has abandoned all these gods that she's known from childhood, that she's grown up worshiping and serving. She's saying no more. Folks, this is radical. I don't know if you can see it. I hope you can, but this is radical. To turn your back on the only gods that you've ever known. Well, this is what Ruth has done, and I, I think it brings up a question. Is this repentance? Is this repentance... Ruth, is what she is showing us here true repentance? I think we probably hesitate, or maybe the idea doesn't even come to our, our minds, because the word's not there, is it? We don't see the word repentance. We don't see 
the word sin, do we? But I can't help but conclude that what we have here is a picture of what repentance is to look like. Now, we don't have uh, in the text uh, explicitly stated just how Ruth worshipped and served Chemosh and these other false gods, but she did. She wasn't indifferent. She was a faithful, loyal worshiper of Chemosh and these other false gods that the Moabites worshipped. And right here in this moment, she turns her back on everything that was a part of her past. Her, her people, her family, her friends, her customs, these false gods. And if it's not repentance, then I don't know what it is. <laughs> we have talked about in chapter 1 the recurrence of this word return. It's over and over and over this word return, return. And as I've discussed with you, the, the main point that's being driven here is a reversal of fortunes. How can Naomi's change course? What has to happen here? Well, that's what this return back to Bethlehem is. But... Also, implied in this word is repentance, a turning. And Naomi's decision is to return. It's an admission on her part. I'm in Moab. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I've got to go back to Bethlehem. I've got to go back to the, to the land of my people and my God. And Ruth says the same thing. I'm going with you. I'm leaving everything. I'm, I'm forsaking, rejecting everything I've ever known. Listen, repentance is radical. Repentance is you're going this way and then you turn around and you go that way. Repentance is not a slight veering. <laughs> oh, Three degrees. I'll, I'll just change course a little. No. Ruth and Naomi here are on the road, and there's two ways to go. You can go back to Moab, or you can go to the promised land. Repentance is our calling, brothers and sisters. You cannot come to Christ without it. Jesus in Luke 5.32 says this, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Who do you think Jesus is referring to there? Everybody? Is there anyone righteous? No. Not calling them to a fun, easy life. He's calling them to turn. Turn from their sin. And this is the calling that is before every one of us today, repentance. That's, that's Ruth's radical rejection, but I also want you to see here a radical dedication. A radical dedication. There's a, a, a turning away from something, but there's a turning toward something, isn't there? And this is not just some half-hearted, Ah, willy-nilly. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, there, there's a dedication seen here, a loyalty 
a commitment, a, a resolute devotion that, frankly, I don't know if we have the likes of this anywhere in Scripture, do we? I mean, we have so many examples throughout Scripture of people who, 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 who turned and, and then wavered. Peter, the great apostle. I mean, we have so many examples of people who, who struggled, who slipped and, and fell away. But here before us is an example of someone who makes this hard turn and says, that's it. Let's look for a second at this dedication here. First, I, I want you to see her express a her union with a new people, union with a new people. This is uh, expressed initially to her mother-in-law, uh, Naomi. If you'll look there at verse 16, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Now, up to this point, Ruth has been on the receiving end of these imperatives, these commands. This is what Naomi has been telling her, right? Return to your mother's house. Turn back, my daughters. Return to, uh, after your sister-in-law. So Naomi has been commanding, commanding, commanding. And now Ruth. Hold on. I've got a command for you. Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. You're wasting your breath. My mind is made up. I'm not going back. The decision is made. Ruth is uh, eventually, or, or essentially saying here, I'm going to be your shadow. Now, if any of you have ever played sports, if you played basketball, if you played football, if you're guarding someone, used to have a coach that would say, now, I want you to be his shadow. Wherever he goes, you go. All right? And that's what Ruth has said, right? Where you go, I go. When you stop, I stop. You stop to sleep and spend the night, I stop. Pick up and go, I go. I'm with you. Wherever it is. <laughs> but there's much more in this, uh, this radical dedication, it's not just a dedication to serve and help Naomi. But as the verse continues, your people shall be my people and your God my God. Do you see that Ruth has not only disavowed everything in her past, her, her people, her gods, her customs, her ways, everything that is familiar to her. She's about to go to a, a place where they, they don't do anything the way they do in Moab. She's made here not only a complete commitment to Naomi, and we might somewhat expect that. Here's an older lady who's going to need some help. And so Ruth is a very kind young woman, and I'm going to go and, and, and be there for you. I'm going to help you. There's a whole lot more than that here. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. This is a radical dedication. Ruth is essentially saying, I don't even want to be considered a Moabitess anymore. 
I, I want to be considered what you got. I mean, look at me like a, I'm a Hebrew. Now, for the rest of the book, she's always going to be designated Ruth the Motobitus. She doesn't want to be known by that, does she? And what the text is doing is, 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 is the story is, is telling us, hey, remember, she's a foreigner. Look at God's grace shown to this foreigner. We'll get to that later on. But right now, she's like, don't even consider me a foreigner. Your people are my people. I, I, I want to be identified with you and your people. And I want to be identified not only a union with a new people, but with the one true God. Your God, my God. Uh, this is not just a, a radical devotion to Naomi and, and to Naomi's people, but to Naomi's God. She's rejected the God of the Moabites, and now she claims Naomi's God is her God. I hope you all recognize what this means. My devotion is to your God. I'm going to worship your God. I'm going to listen to what your God has to say. This is nothing more than a total transformation, isn't it? You see what's happened here? Ruth's become a new person. She's not even the same, is she? She's been with Naomi for 10 years, so she's, she's heard, hasn't she? She's learned some things. And this has obviously had some kind of an impact on her, and she makes this commitment. And if we have any doubts about the level of commitment, it's removed here in the next verse. Remember, we're contrasting here. Uh, Orpah seemed to be committed, right? That really wasn't a commitment. <laughs> But Ruth shows us her, her radical dedication and the way that she expresses her commitment not just in life but also in death. In life and also in death. Verse 17, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. I, I hope you see the extent of Ruth's commitment to Naomi. She could have said, I'm going to be with you until you die. Now, Naomi's an older lady. That may not have been very long. Who knows? It could have been a few years. And Naomi dies and Ruth says, Okay, now I'm off the hook. I can go back. She said, No. Even after you die, I'm staying. I'm going to die where you die. That's radical, isn't it? What is she saying? She's just not trying to appease her mother-in-law, is she? Long after you're gone. And Ruth could have outlived her by many years. In other words, I'm coming to help you, but this really isn't about you, Naomi. This is about your God. I'm making a commitment to Him. <laughs> This dedication here from Ruth is so radical that she commits to, to dying and being buried in Naomi's land. Now, we've got, to, we've got to stop here and think about this. 
Ruth has recognized that there is something special, not only about the, the, the people with whom she is identifying now and the God of these people, but something about the land, right? This is the promised land. Ruth has recognized we've been in the wrong place. We've got to go to a different place. We've got to go to the land of promise. This is the land that God promised Abraham through a covenant. I can't help but, but think that Ruth knows this. She knows her origins, right? She knows the origins of Naomi and her people. Very different origins, right? We'll talk about that here in just a second. <laughs> but what I want you to see here is that this is a statement of faith on Ruth's part. And the way that we know this is because I want you to think back. There's a lot of similarities to this story in Ruth and the story of Joseph. How, how God brings people from the, the lowest place up to a, a great exalted position. If you remember at the end of Joseph's life, this is the, almost the last thing that happens in Genesis. Joseph gathers his brothers and says, come around here. I'm about to die. This is in Genesis 50, I think, 26. And he says, But the Lord is going to visit you, and when he does, carry my bones out of here. Do not leave my bones in Egypt. And guess what? 400 some odd years later, Moses kept that promise. Exodus 13, I don't remember the verse, but somewhere in there, as they're leaving, the writer makes a note to tell us. And by the way, they grabbed the bones of Joseph. Why? Joseph said, you bury me in the land that God promised to give us. Why? I mean, is the dirt there any better than the dirt in Egypt? Is the dirt in, in Canaan land any better than the dirt in Moab? By many accounts, we could say that it's probably worse right now. It hasn't been rained on in a while. <laughs> Listen to this in Hebrews eleven twenty two. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. This is a statement of faith on the part of Joseph. You take my bones out of here. I want my bones to be buried where my people are. And this is what Ruth is saying. This is a statement of faith. That is the promised land that God swore he would give to Abraham and his descendants. And he did it. And that's where I want my bones buried. I want you to notice here that Ruth has made a dedication to Israel's covenant God. And it is sealed with her own covenant vow look again at verse 17 may the lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you what ruth is saying is that is if i ever go back on my vow may the lord strike me dead and notice that she says in the previous verse she says your god should be my god now she says may the lord that's the covenant name brothers and sisters may yahweh strike me dead if if i don't keep this vow I'll be with you not only to your death, but to my death. Wherever they put your bones, I'll be right there. 
my bones are going to be put beside yours. This is a picture of what it means to turn to the Lord to venture everything on Christ for His sake. 100%. Nothing less. You recall the words of Jesus, don't you? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Counting the cost. Ruth, Ruth has done this. She's counted the cost. She's made a commitment unto death and sealed it with a, with a covenant vow of her own because she knows the covenant Lord who keeps His promises. She says, that's the God I want. I want to be identified with those people. I want to be buried with those people. We know the end of the story. But at this point in the story, Ruth has no idea, does she? Notice in her response to Naomi, you don't get, okay, I'll go with you because I think that's probably my best option to find a husband. Maybe I will. I think that, that your God is so good, he's going to bless me with a husband and kids. And so I'm going to go with you. She didn't say that. Where does this come from? What is this commitment? It's made on the basis of it being a commitment because of who God is, not because of what God's going to do for her. None of that stuff's ever brought up. This isn't a deal. I'm giving everything to this God that has become known to me. Not because He's doing anything for me. This is just unequivocal, radical dedication as every commitment to the Lord should be. Amen? Well, there was one. Radical rejection Radical dedication, and one final idea this morning, radical witness. Radical witness. How do you think Ruth came to know everything she knows about this God? Well, she's been living with Naomi for 10 years, right? Well, let's just ask, is it because of the powerful witness and testimony of Naomi It's in spite of that, isn't it? I mean, Naomi is not a good witness. She's a, she's a very weak witness. Naomi has done everything she can. She's made every argument she can to get Ruth to go back. What does that say? I, I started to throw in a point about the, the wonderful, sovereign, electing grace of God. You, you see it when you don't see it, right? I mean... What else could it be? <laughs> when the person who knows God, and part of God's people, is telling you, you know, all the reasons that you shouldn't come with her. <laughs> in fact, if you remember back in verse 13, she said, the hand of the Lord is against me. You don't want to go with me. I'm cursed. Don't. You go with me, all the bad things that are happening to me are going to keep happening to you. Like I said last week, that would have done it for me. Okay. 
not going. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> this witness is totally inconsistent with the truth, totally inconsistent with what Ruth has learned about this God for these 10 years. Because she's picked up on some things, hasn't she? I want to just stop momentarily and ask you about your witness. What are you saying? What are you doing? How do our words, how do our actions testify to the grace of God? Or do they? And I would hope that we could all be challenged here and say, yes, I, I want to be a faithful witness. I want to be more consistent. Because after all, our God is great, isn't it? Isn't he? We, we know this. We know that our God is great and merciful and kind and so loving that he would do something that's beyond imagination, send his one and only son into this sin-sick world to die for sinners? What a great God is He? And what kind of witness are we to this great God and the good news of the gospel? Second, I want to admit here that I'm drawing an, an inference, but I, I want us to see what is the real witness. And this is the question before us. How is it that we testify to God's grace? What is the real witness? In Ruth's case, what is it? And I can't help but infer from the text that it is God's Word. You might say, well, how do you mean? Well, I think we can just kind of think a little bit here that if Ruth has been with this family for 10 years, she's seen a lot of the customs. She's seen a lot of the things that they, these people do because their religion requires it. We don't have any, uh, we think about Elimelech and probably he has fallen away from God, he's lost hope in God, but we don't find in the text that he has completely abandoned the Hebrew faith. And so she's been with this, this family, this Israelite family. What do Israelites do every seven days? All the Moabites are going to work, aren't you guys? No, we don't work on the seventh day. We, we rest. Why? Where'd that come from? Well, you know, when the Lord created everything, He rested on the seventh day, and He's given that to us as, as a, one of our Ten Commandments. And, and surely she would pick it up in this law of lever at marriage. Remember we talked about that uh, last week, and I mentioned it earlier, uh, uh, where when the husband dies and uh, there's a widow there, how do we take care of her? Well, in the law, there's a provision. The next son marries her. And Ruth understands. that. I mean, she's picked up things from, from this family. When we get into the next chapter, how about this? They arrive in Bethlehem, and what does Ruth do? I'm going to go out into the fields and glean. What is that? Well, it's a provision in the law. When you're going out and reaping, don't reap everything right up next to the fence and in the corners. Leave that for the poor people. So when the reapers are out there, they leave some. because. They... And Ruth surely must know, what a gracious God, 
who puts provision in his word to care for the poor and those who, who are, are fallen on hard times. He, he must really love. What a gracious God he is. What a just God he is. Our God never did anything like that. And origins. Now, we, re, we talked about the origins uh, a few weeks ago of, of the Moabites, remember? It's not anything to be proud of. Lot runs from, from Sodom. And after everybody's destroyed, his wife is even destroyed. She becomes a pillar of salt. And his two daughters, uh, one says one night, okay, I'll take dad. And, 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 and so one of these daughters has a son named Moab through an incestuous relationship. Now, you contrast that origin with Abraham. This old man and this old lady are beyond the years when they can have children. And Sarah has a child. And not only that, you go back to before this child is born. God promised that child, but he promised, I'm going to make your descendants like the stars. And he's done it. I'm going to give them this land. And he's done it. Chemosh, he doesn't do stuff like that. He, he takes our children. This God makes children. As numerous as the sand on the seashore. And somehow or another, Ruth has, has heard these things from God's word, God's promises. That's the witness. Romans 10.17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. What Ruth heard in the law was the word of Christ, because there's grace there. There's grace there. It's all the word of Christ, isn't it? Even in God's law, she sees grace. She sees the provision for the needy, help for the downcast, hope for the hopeless. Is there any grace in Moab? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> she knows that her only hope for any kind of future, whatever that's going to bring to her, is to go back with Naomi. Go back to Bethlehem. She has to go. How could she not? Bethlehem, the house of bread. That's where the Lord's going to provide. That's where the Lord's going to take care of us. He's going to give us everything we need. What a, a radical transformation, is it not? Now, I just want to ask you, is this you? Is this your testimony? How does it happen? Well, it can only come if we look to Christ in the gospel. This is how Paul describes this, this transformation taking place in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's how it happens. 
We can't make it happen. This is not a transformation that Ruth did by doing things. Something happened on the inside. Radical comes from the Latin word radix, which means what? Anybody know Latin? Root. Happens from the inside out, doesn't it? And this is what the Lord does to us. He gives us a new heart. He makes us new. He, he makes us into a new creation that we read about earlier. Amen? Amen? So we look to Christ today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this beautiful picture here of a radical transformation. And we know that this is what you do. Only you can. We thank you for the power of the gospel that brings life to the dead, that brings fruitfulness to the barren, food to the hungry, and hope to the hopeless. We thank you for your word. Father, may it, may it be planted deeply in our hearts and bear much fruit for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.